but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is episode 200, our double century. Okay, when we did 100, do you think did you think we would get to 200? Yes. Oh, when we did 100, I was like, I think mm, around like 135, we'll probably, you know, we'll have graduated to like really important jobs or something and we won't be doing it anymore. Oh, see, I... <laughs> I had no delusions of those. None of those delusions. Yeah, like like one of us would be commissioner of tennis or something. No, absolutely not. I thought you mean like in like regular life no, or something. No. Do you feel accomplished? Uh yeah. Yeah, I do. I've I've learned in recent years that that it's important to celebrate your wins. And I think this is a win for us. So That's true because a lot of times in tennis and in life, people feel their losses much more acutely than they celebrate their wins, right? Mm-hmm. So it is important, like, when you do something or something good happens to you, you just take a, take a beat and appreciate it. Well, we did take a beat at the start of this recording because we got through four minutes and decided to scrap the whole thing mm-hmm. because it was, it was not good, Bob. Not great, Bob. It was not great at That's all. That's another life lesson. When you deliver lemons, throw them away. <laughs> something like that we the the energy was all wrong we were talking about john isner <laughs> like to start the 200th episode it was no like, no 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 nope. so we stopped we took a couple shots <laughs> they were like really weak ones though what like those designer shots you know what was it like peppermint schnapps and creme de cacao what is mm-hmm. that a polar bear i think some someone can correct us if we're wrong it's whatever people were doing back in or college days. Right. That wasn't Jaeger or... It's what it's really what the gays and gals were doing. <laughs> so we weren't going to devote episode 200 to current day issues. However, you know, we went away for a few days at the beginning of last week. And we even issued a tweet saying we thought about it and we're like, no. Right. We said all we had to say and we're not going to waste episode 200 on mm-hmm. this nonsense. But as it turns out... Some things happened. The, the, the shit kept on happening. Right. So we were off the grid for a few hours, you know, weren't checking our phones. We got some DMs and everything was blowing up on Twitter. The first big thing was that Grigor Dimitrov had tested positive for COVID-19. And the hits just kept on coming after that. This was like a day or two after we had released the episode. And I believe I said... On that episode, who's going to want somebody like Grigor Dimitrov at the U.S. Open? In res- yeah. <laughs> well, while we're talking about what was going on at the Adria Tour. And I've never been less happy about being prophetic. Because it's just not... Nobody wants to wish, well, I won't say I maybe, that. Maybe some people do. But this is not one of those things you're like happy about being right no, about. that's my point. Um, it was just, it seemed really predictable. This is not 199B, as we joked about. This is the legit 200. I'm not messing up the episode numbers for these guys. Mm. And I want to take you all on a bit of a diversion. We've come to Route 200, and there's a fork in the road, and we'll eventually come back and go the tennis way. But for now, I'm going to take you on a cricket escape for a few minutes. Because I've been spending... So much of my time at home watching YouTube videos at night, reliving my cricket childhood, and I've just been watching Brian Lara videos. And the the synergy here with this being our 200th episode is the fact that Brian Lara is third all-time in scoring test double centuries. He scored nine double centuries. I just want to do a quick shout-out to Brian Lara because I am even more entrenched in my position of how great he is now 13 years after his retirement and having the chance to go back and look at a lot of his greatest innings on YouTube 
what this man achieved, the way he did it, just jaw-dropping stuff. The incredible footwork, the hand-eye coordination, the unusual backlift that he had that anybody in cricket coaching would probably have tried to, to change it for him. But because he was so quick and had such great hand-eye coordination, he could do whatever he wanted. His strokes were from the textbook, but not of the textbook, because he added his own distinct flair. Any given shot Lara played, if he played it, there's no con confusing it with anybody else. And so when folks want to compare him to Tendulkar and say which one is better, I always say, you keep your numbers, you keep your charts, there's no competing there, save for the double hundreds and the big scores. Those are things that not everybody has. Sachin Tendulkar certainly did not have those. I say I trust what my eyes and my heart showed me. And for those reasons, Brian Lara is just a superstar upon superstar for me. The other thing I want to mention about Lara is how unparalleled he was against spin bowling. The greats of his time, Shane Warne, Mutai Murlitharan, just destroyed them on a routine basis and never really looked bothered at all. An off-spinner like Murlitharan is supposed to bother left-handers. Was never the case with Lara. And in, in contemporary cricket, well, like recent years, you have this explosion of of spinners, quality spinners who will trouble any batsman in the world, that is not, that wasn't the case for him. I mean, when I tell you, like, he made these guys look like schoolboy cricketers, it was, it was amazing. Stuart McGill, ha! So we said we weren't going to be recording this as our 200th episode. We're here. And why are we here? What are, what are the events that happened that made us think, well, we, we, we just have to do it? Well... So on June 21st, last week, Grigor Dimitrov announced publicly on Instagram that he had tested positive for COVID-19 in Monaco after he left Croatia as part of the second leg of the Adria Tour. Obviously, this was a massive shitstorm for the Adria Tour, for tennis, for tennis Twitter, and it just it got quite a bit worse from there. So Dimitrov was the first player to test positive. Then we heard from Borna Chorich, who also has COVID. The next day, I wake up, and the first thing I see, Novak Djokovic and his wife, Jelena Djokovic, both have tested positive for COVID in Serbia. They were tested after they traveled from Croatia. Notably, Dimitrov tested positive in Monaco. After he had left Croatia. <laughs> Viktor Troitsky and his pregnant wife reportedly have both tested positive. And uh, the final piece of the puzzle here is Goran Ivanisevic on Friday announced that he had tested positive. He was the director of the Croatia leg of the tournament, and he's also, a, well, a tennis legend and Novak Djokovic's coach. This is obviously not how anyone wanted the Adria Tour to end, and it did end prematurely for this reason. It was unfortunately a predictable end to this tournament because of the incredible risks involved, because of the lack of precautions taken, the the huge number of fans, the just the the failure to even gesture toward this world health crisis. Folks came back saying, "Well, they 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 followed the guidelines set forth by the government." Right, but they did not. Okay, fine. They had a player party, which was in a club that was open according to government rules. Right, but... There's that. Okay. But then there's common sense. There's not dancing up and screaming and shouting to the Macarena in each other's faces indoors. It's like, where are folks getting their information from? Well, let's, let's start with the government guidelines thing, because that's simply not true. The Serbian government was still recommending that people distance. They were still recommending that people do not embrace and get within each other's bubbles. So, you know, you can say, okay, the Adria Tour was allowed to go on under the Serbian government's recommendations. That's true. But they didn't follow the recommendations about distancing and masks and all that stuff. Right. 
And then you have folks saying, well, I, my temperature was fine today. I took a test two days ago. I was negative. As if that's, that's now a static thing. <laughs> like that's not subject to change minutely or by the hour or something that's not dependent on your behavior going forward. Mm. So, I don't know. Like, I'm wondering a lot of things. I'm wondering what kind of news are these guys getting? Are they are they paying attention to the news? What is the messaging in the various countries that they've been in since this started? Several of them were tested multiple times and tested negative before they tested positive for the disease, right? We know this is possible. We know there are false negatives. We know that you can be a carrier of the disease and not have symptoms. You may not have a temperature ever during the course of your infection, right? It's interesting because the Serbian government was incredibly strict at the beginning of the pandemic. There were curfews, very strict curfews. There were orders for people over the age of 65 never to even leave their homes. It was actually criticized by a lot of human rights activists that it was too draconian, that it was infringing on people's civil liberties. But as you can see, like the numbers were kept fairly low in Serbia. There's some controversy about whether those numbers were legitimate, but regardless, the numbers seemed to be stable. There weren't that many deaths in Serbia. Like they had it under control. Which which was the defense that folks mm. said, why are you coming for this tournament? Like Serbia is in such a better position than, than y'all in the US or other countries in Europe. Like right. this is not the same. But so I get that, but it also it confuses me that the Serbian government would allow this tournament to go on in those conditions having been so strict just a few months earlier. Because by being that serious about the pandemic, they were able to contain it in some way. And when you relax those restrictions, you see these infections start to go up again. I just I don't know how you go from there to full-on, willy-nilly, back to normal. And so what we thought was the inevitable happened. Djokovic, after he tested positive, he said, Hi everyone, we're back in Belgrade and I've tested positive for COVID-19 as well as Yelena. The kids have tested negative. We will remain in self-isolation for the next 14 days and repeat the test in five days. I'm so deeply sorry our tournament has caused harm. Everything the organizers and I did the past month we did with a pure heart and sincere intentions. We believe the tournament met all health protocols and the health of our region seemed in good condition to finally unite people for philanthropic reasons. We were wrong and it was too soon. I can't express enough how sorry I am for this and every case of infection. Great words, beautiful words. Uh, do you get my drift? Yeah, I do. I, I don't know what to make of this apology because... The writing was on the wall before it started, right? I, We don't have a lot of use for your pure heart and sincere intentions. And not many people are, are making the argument that Novak recklessly wanted to infect people. It's right? not like, like he that's is... Not, the intention is really not the problem here. He's not the Joker going around Gotham City infecting people with COVID-19. Right, that's like, not what people are this saying. This is not an evil psychopath, but this is an event that was conceived of in a reckless and dangerous manner, and you're seeing the results of it now. That was clear from, from the beginning. And an event like this does not happen overnight. This took a lot of planning. And so if you think of, say, the point at which Florida was touting how well they were doing and how quickly that went south, you can understand yeah. why some folks were like, well, I'm... I'm happy to, to set up shop here in Florida. Sports coming back in Florida makes sense. And then a month later, it's a totally different situation. So when Novak is organizing this event, this is not an overnight thing. Right. But it's like, oh, at this point, our numbers have been good for a while. It feels like we, we've beaten it. So why not just go full bore again? And what I, what I don't understand is why... Why couldn't you hold this tournament in safer conditions with no spectators or very few spectators, with players wearing masks and not embracing each other, with really just like a gesture toward the fact that this is an ongoing global health crisis and the disease doesn't just 
leave a region because you've had a good few weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not that you were doing this thing under the most safe scenarios, taking the most precautions. Mm. You essentially threw all caution to the wind. All of it. Like, we know how bad Italy got. Right. And we know that that was because of huge events with large groups of people. And that just, that happened too quickly. But now we're six months down the line and we under we understand how it spread and how That's quickly, my point. right? Like, we know a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff about COVID. As much as we don't know a lot, we still, we now know a lot or we know enough to prevent the spread. Mm. Which is why this was just not on. Right. So sincere intentions, fine. I We're not doubting that Djokovic and company thought they were doing a good thing for the region. That they had philanthropic efforts in mind. But ultimately that, that doesn't really matter. It's resulted in people testing positive for this disease. And the argument that I hear is that, well, they probably won't die. Like, is that's where we are as, as a human species, that these top flight athletes probably won't die, and that's a win? Who, you know, who else is at risk here? This thing is so easily spread very, very quickly. Who else has been infected? Um, let's say you do get it and you survive, but... The guy, maybe your athletic ability is like 96% of what it once was. Well, that's enough, right? Like that's enough to let other people eclipse you. Why would you expose yourself to that risk? But also the driver who was driving these guys around, he tested positive. Right. So there are, there are people who were involved with this event who were not tennis players who tested positive And who knows if they have the resources to preserve their health the way these athletes do. Mm. I mean, in in Toronto alone, we saw a lot of taxi and limo drivers from the airport test positive because of repeated exposure in a contained space. And several of them have died. You know, like these are the people who are really vulnerable to this disease. There's this narrative going around that Djokovic is the like the final boss, the, the last bad guy. He's the ultimate enemy. And the other guys who are just there to play... They, it's not their fault. They were just doing what the world number one and the ATP president was saying. The ATP Players Council president was saying. Mm. And that is just so stupid, <laughs> frankly. These are grown-ass men. Mm. Dominic Team is over the age of 26 years old. Grigor is, what, 28, 29? Zverev, we'll get to him. He's, what, 22? That is not a baby. Mm-hmm. Folks like to treat these men, especially if they're white and remotely good-looking, as some kind of fragile creature that needs to be protected at all costs. There's this weird dichotomy that, that's at play where folks want to protect them like a baby but still try and fuck them if they could. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's bizarre and it's disgusting. You do see this a lot in, in fandom of male tennis players. And the, the chief among those is Rafa Nadal, I think. So yeah, miss me with all those defenses of the players saying like, oh, he's just a little kid, blah, blah, blah. No, these are grown men. Should we not expect people to read? In the middle of a pandemic, one that affects your profession so acutely that has caused your entire tour your entire livelihood to shut down for months with no end in sight. You mean to tell me you're not curious enough to find out the ins and outs of how this affects you so intricately? Especially if you're getting on a plane and going to like five, six countries over the course of a few weeks. If you're sitting your ass at home on the couch, I don't really care if you read. You know, like if if you're not endangering anyone else. Sure, but these are two competing points here. mm -hmm. My point is that these these are people who need to do better who need to educate themselves and they certainly do not need ted fred and nancy out here in these twitter streets defending them in every which way Mm. so that brings up the the whole fandom conversation that's going on at the moment and i feel that i don't know i was thinking like are we in the worst moment in the most difficult impasse of this novak fandom or is there a light 
at the end of the tunnel, right? Because what is the light? What would a light be? Well, <laughs> what are you? Say, so, be specific sure. about your words. You're beating around a bush here. Sure. So, for a particular wing of Novak fandom, conversation has broken down completely. It's impossible, right? Like there is no conversation to be had. This is this is only a small part of Novak Djokovic's fans. So I don't want to paint with broad strokes here. But I have definitely stopped myself from saying things because I don't want to get into that, right? At like we've, ver- at the- we've been worse in the past about Novak and we've poked more fun. And I've definitely censored myself more because I know that there is a faction of the Novak fandom who will take everything at face value, will take it extremely seriously, and then builds in whole layers of by that you mean disingenuously right but like accusations of xenophobia um this sort of mixing in of serbian nationalism it is just a really complicated thing and for that reason i think we have avoided going too hard but now you see you know journalists are are getting into it with nole fam you know, they've labeled a whole faction of tennis journalism Briggs fam, which is uh, like Simon Briggs and his supposed cronies. I don't know where we we fit in all of this. I don't I, care where well, we fit right. in all of this. But the point is, like, fandom is a big part of tennis. And the conversation in tennis, on tennis Twitter, aligns along these fan lines, right? And so my, I guess my question, is this kind of like the worst dead end ever? In tennis fandom, and where where do we go from here? Man, that was a long-winded roundabout. <laughs> you asked me to explain. Um, first of all, I don't think you need to be lumping us in with tennis journalists. No, no, no. Which is but you know, but you're you're saying that you've considered how you, we fit into that, right? Frankly, yes, we have. In the last couple of years, I would say, if we didn't need to go off on one of the big four fandoms such as Serena or the big three right those mm-hmm. are those are the those are the four major fandoms that can give you a shitstorm we have maybe reined in a little bit but at the same time when something happens such as this mm-hmm. we are going to say what we want to say and i think it's more like picking our spots right but with no life fam you have a fandom that feels over the past decade that they have already been backed into a corner that their guy has gotten short shrift compared to Nadal and Federer there's already for a small minority like this victim complex and so something like this has exacerbated it exponentially right so any critique of Adria Tour is an attack on Serbia and the Serbian government any critique of Adria Tour is an attack on Novak Djokovic's character. And so, like, I'm not talking about his character. We're talking about his judgment, which is certainly in question, right? But the conversation on social media has broken down to just a, an awful level. I'm, I'm confused as to what you're saying here. Are you using that as an excuse or an explanation or what? Because you posed this, was it a mm. rhetorical question when you're yeah, asking, are yeah. we at the worst that we've been with this fandom? Mm. Or... Fandoms in general. Was that rhetorical? It was kind of a rhetorical question, yeah. It was just an entree into talking about fandom. Because what you have left... So you have Novak fans who are openly critical of these past few months, which have been eye-opening. And then you have a small group that has dug in their heels further and has really sort of started to behave in a cult-like manner. (laughs) I would challenge you for episodes 200 to 300 201 to 300 Mm. to be more specific (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, so i will say that i'm very thankful that the crocodile has made its appearance in so many of these accounts profile it is mm. very helpful it is in knowing what you're up against right so this wing the reason that i say cult like for this minority faction is a a few behaviors that are very alarming and mimic similar behaviors in cults like the Donald Trump cult, the policing of journalists, the constant hammering at the credibility of journalism in general, 
um, the obsession with a journalist's allegiance. To be, to be, I mean, they are spoiled because they do have one in particular who has become a Djokovic PR arm. Yes. So I can see how that can be confusing as to what should be expected of somebody covering tennis mm-hmm. for their fave. And the thing is, like, that, that suspicion is not entirely unfounded, right? Because no. you have places like the Daily Mail, some of the British journalists, some of the American journalists who have published pieces that are extremely uncharitable to Novak Djokovic. And, you know, not just part of this. Back to when he was talking about unionization of the ATP players, painting him as this Eastern Bloc communist, which mm-hmm. is extremely xenophobic. Yes. And for the record, we did talk about that yeah. at the time. But, you know, probably going back to 2007 or wherever, where he was seen as this party pooper. So the foundation, I kind of understand. But this this sort of tag team on specific journalists for reporting what is newsworthy, that is weird behavior. There's certain instances where you just have to take the loss. This was one of them. Yeah. The writing was on the wall. The loss happened. The loss has to has to be absorbed. And then you can move forward. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, what is the point of sitting there policing whether people are going overboard in critiquing this situation? Just tune out for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Tune out for a couple of days. We'll come again. This whole business of you hate Djokovic, you are the worst, blah, 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 blah. Have you, I, I mean, this, I'm going to be setting myself for, setting myself up for looking stupid here because this fan base loves charts and <laughs> documenting things. But have you actually read everything that these journalists have written about your fave? Or is it? Well, they might have actually. That's what I'm saying. Don't, don't challenge this group. <laughs> But the other thing, the other common theme is the mixing of this hyper-nationalism into the fandom, right? So this preoccupation with Serbian nationalism and the idea that people who dislike Novak are attacking the very heart of what it means to be Serbian or to be from the region, that Western journalists can't possibly understand what it's like to be from the region, which is fair, but... Like, not every critique of Novak is a critique of his ethnicity, his heritage. When I see things like, well, how can you criticize when your government is allowing people to go to bars and Arizona and California and Florida are and exploding? With Black and Lives Matter going Like, on. we are not our government. So what I feel is important is like a decoupling of nationalism from this debate in general. We Many of us, Americans and Canadians, disagree wholeheartedly with what our government is doing. So what, you know, saying, well, I saw this bar in Florida, how can you possibly criticize? Like, that's not us. Like, we, we can criticize both. The part that I found most disturbing was equating the Adria tour with protesting in the streets in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That was... Wild, And so what I find is that so much of this is about distraction. It's not a genuine attempt to engage with issues. It's about distracting. It's about, look over there. Yeah. And it's all in service of defending Novak, which not even I and Mariah Carey could be tethered so strongly. Right, like this is the tactic of American conservatives too. You see John Isner doing it, Lisa Raymond, distracting from the issue at hand by saying, well, look at all these protesters. They're the ones who are getting everyone sick. If that were the case, New York City would have seen a massive bump in the past three weeks. They simply have not. Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the other hand, experienced Mm -hmm. a massive bump because of that Trump rally. Right. Like it's (laughs) social distancing and wearing masks... They work. The vast majority of protesters you see on TV are wearing masks. And it's becoming clear after months that masking is probably the most effective prevention for this pandemic. Along with aside social from distancing. staying inside. Along right. with social distancing. Right. So they the protesters work. were not social distancing, but most of them were wearing masks. And for that reason, we haven't seen that accompanying spike in cases in a lot of places. To answer your rhetorical question, 
yes, it's as bad as it's ever been. Right. And it will probably get worse. Mm-hmm. Not just with Novax fans, but with other fandoms as well. That said, this has been particularly disingenuous. Right. This is a very dark timeline we're in right now. So going back to the Adria tour and its aftermath, this sparked a very ugly war of words between players, parents, coaches, and even heads of state. Novak Djokovic's dad, which we didn't talk about on the last episode because you didn't want to get into the mess, but this is extremely topical now. He said that Dimitrov has done great damage to Serbian-Croatian relations, and nobody knows where Dimitrov caught the disease. Which, fine. That is truly beside the point. Who cares where Dimitrov was infected with COVID-19? The fact, I don't The care. fact is he was able to pass it on because right. of the measures that were not taken. Exactly. Like, he could have had it for 10 days before. I don't know where he caught it, nor should we really care where he caught it. The point was that they played so fast and loose with restrictions and distancing that it was easy to pass it on. And it could have been Novak who infected everybody. As a Who knows? Who knows? But the thing is, like, this is not an indictment of Serbia as a nation, right? As if that was the source of Dimitrov's infection that Serbia is culpable. No, I think folks are saying that, how did the Serbian government allow this to happen? So how does this damage Serbian-Croatian relations? Well, I told (laughs) you not to talk about this. Like, this makes no sense. Okay, so Dominic... Like, this man stays out here talking all manner of Mm -hmm. mess. Yeah. So Dominic Team is uh, another issue. Completely oblivious, dude. No, listen, Grigor Dimitrov is an issue as well. He is much beloved in tennis circles. He issued a statement and got a lot of sympathy from folks as the as patient zero, essentially. Mm. But he acted recklessly as he well. He, he knew he wasn't feeling well. He still played matches. He That match he played against Borna Church did not look well. Did no. not. And lo and behold, Borna Church, his opponent in that match, tests positive as well. He was doing all these things, even though he knew he didn't feel at his optimum best. Just it was crazy. And then he left and went to Monaco to get tested. So Dominic Team has come, uh, come up for some criticism from us because of his seeming obliviousness to this entire situation, right? He, according to Tumani Carriol, <laughs> he compiled a really good travel schedule that we can follow. Team played in Vienna, flew to Belgrade, went back to Vienna, went to France, went back to Vienna, went back to France, went to Kitzbühel, went back to France, and then to Berlin. And now he's in France again. Okay. Team has tested negative multiple times, which he will remind you if prompted. He quipped that he is... Probably the most negative guy on tour. Right, but he went from the Adria tour straight to playing the UTI event in France with Patrick Muratalu. It's uh, it's just wild that he was welcomed with open arms. Uh, no quarantine. Everything is normal. I've tested negative many times. Everything is cool. Totally fine. The whole the joking around with the commentators thing about the most negative guy on tour wasn't cute. Was no. a good look, and the commentators were like, "Har har har har." Because it's not funny. Like it's not funny because it really just exposes how stupid you are. Like you are a stupid person. You're entitled. You're arrogant, and you're behaving like a stupid person. Dominic's manager, Ervig Straka, said, "Quote: The only one who needs to be sorry is Djokovic. The others were only there and didn't kill anyone." Okay, is is that the threshold? Cool story, Corona bro. Right? Like, congratulations on not killing anyone. That is the bar. Yet. Exactly. So this stuff all kind of died down for about a week, you would say. And then enter Alexander Zverev. Did it die down? I feel like it continued throughout the week. Yeah, but there was a hope of a turning (laughs) of the corner or something. Some respite. So... Alex Verov appears on Philip Plen's Instagram, 
partying among dozens, uh, I don't know, hundreds of people in the south of France at this sort of outdoor restaurant slash bar. Maybe dozens is more accurate. Sure. Le Capuy was there as well. Mm -hmm. Spotted. On Monday, June 22nd, after the first few players had tested positive in Croatia, or after the Croatian leg, Alexander said, I deeply apologize to anyone I have potentially put at risk by playing this tour, and said he would be going into self-isolation. Six days later, he's not. With the same temperature check bullshit. Right. This is not self-isolation. I like Just don't lie. Just be honest. Say... I have not tested positive, and I'm happy, so fuck y'all. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Which is clearly, like, his tactics here. I get the sense that these guys have hedged their bet that they're young enough, they have enough resources at their disposal, that if they get sick, like, it's not the end of the world, right? I get Like, that, that has that's, to that's be That's what it, it is, right? right? Yeah. Um, so the guy who posted this was Alexander's friend and the fashion designer, Philip Plain. It was deleted very quickly off Instagram. His girlfriend, Brenda, could be spotted in it. Zverev, in this whole shitstorm, unfollowed apparently one of his biggest stands on Twitter. And Zverev stands just jump ship. It didn't even take that much hemming and hawing. Like, his fans were like, you know what? I'm good. I'm done. It seems like they knew what they were working with. Right. Which is, wow. Like, what a totally different experience with these next-gen guys versus the big three, where people are so incredibly entrenched. Save for Dominic team, Maybe. Yeah, people are overly forgiving of Dominic, even as things start to come out and... The questioning of Dominic's judgment is legitimate. But this Zverev thing blew up a few days ago. Philip Plant apparently is a fashion designer for the company Farfetch, which will become important in a moment. Zverev's frenemy, Nick Kyrgios, recorded an Insta story absolutely blasting Zverev about this incident. And folks are out here saying, oh my god, Nick Kyrgios, the, the voice of reason in tennis. Who would have thunk it? A, everybody thunk it in that this behavior is reckless and stupid. This is not a wild, out there position to take. But at the same time, clearly these tennis bros need to hear it. Mm-hmm. But uh, to be fair, like Nick Kyrgios has become this source of common sense for people during this pandemic. He's been willing to criticize his colleagues about their behavior. And a lot of this, to be honest, is opportunism, right? A lot of it is comparing their behavior, which is endangering the health and safety of others, to the behavior that we criticized Nick for in the past. Throwing a stool, uh, behaving badly on a tennis court, making misogynistic comments, right? So part of this is principled and part of it is rehabbing his own image and comparing his behavior favorably to these guys but at the same time wouldn't you like folks are saying <laughs> sure that I'm... his behavior is the bottom of the barrel that he is the worst example for kids that he's a terrible role model when in fact the world is in the middle of a pandemic a global health crisis and these athletes are showing themselves as being everything but a role model Mm -hmm. but folks don't want to talk about it in those terms and so sure it might be self-serving but i will give him that right the the thing is like divorce it from whatever you may feel about nick curios he is right plain and simple he's right the gist of what nick was saying (laughs) you're out here saying i apologize to my fans i do all these things blah 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 I'm going to take the steps to make this right. And then six days later, you're out here acting a fool again in the same way. Right. So what, like, what's the apology from here? Or what's the next step? Because the first step was making sure everybody at the party deleted all of the videos they had. You unfollowed people on Twitter who are devoted to you. And you've basically gone into hiding. So this against the backdrop of the USTA and the French Federation, and the tours trying to get some kind of tennis on the books for people 
<laughs> not just for tennis players to make some money, but for themselves as well, right? Mm. Like there multiple interests are being served here. But that is the backdrop. And the USTA had just said we are gonna trust the players to make the right decisions, essentially. Right. And we've we've seen now with the Adria Tour, with Zverev, that these players cannot simply cannot be trusted. You may be of the opinion that tours should not be starting back up, period that the U.S. Open should not be happening, that the French Open should not be happening, that there's no way for this to take place in a safe enough manner to guarantee the health and safety of folks. And we share that opinion, you and I. Mm -hmm. We don't think this should be happening right now, that tennis should take a break until there's a vaccine, at least. We're not even sure that these exhibitions should be happening in the first place. Find the Adria Tour was a complete disaster because precautions weren't taken but even the the british event that just happened or the charleston event that seemed to come off fine and that precautions were taken we don't know if that will actually end up being a safe place and that nobody will be affected agreed but if you're one of these players who is struggling in self-isolation not knowing when the tour is going to start back, if it's still going to start back despite the plans that are that are putting to place, hoping that maybe you can earn some dollars this year to keep yourself afloat. This is not what you want to see. No. This is as no. stark a contrast between the haves and have-nots as you can imagine in tennis. These guys have all the money, all the resources at their disposal, and they're just gallivanting around doing whatever they want and imperiling the future of other tennis players to earn some money. Right. This is let them eat cake. This is like the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> this is like the elite of Western Europe gallivanting around whatever country they feel like landing in today. Dominic and doing whatever posting they want. selfies on the plane in every direction that he's traveling mm -hmm. over Europe. It's, right. It is disgusting. On so, my way to Vienna... Selfie, in the plane, hideous, trashy glasses, looking like I don't know what. Oh, you're even coming for his glasses? The glasses now? are horrendous. How are we supposed to consume that? Right. The obliviousness is, is the kicker, right? And, I mean, the overall problem with this disease that makes it so dangerous is, even with all of the restrictions, it requires a level of trust between us, right? The U.S. Open used the word judicious, that it requires players, they expect players to be judicious, considerate of each other, to respect the rules because it's their health, but other people's health as well, right? So in order to combat this pandemic, we not only have to care about our own health, but we have to care about others. And that's the problem here. Like, I don't know how you convince people to care about the health and welfare of other people. And so you get into a situation like the U.S. Open where, fine, players 50 to 100 can't do anything but afford to stay in that hotel by the airport. But then you have all these players who can go rent a house here, rent a house there, be like, I want that Manhattan pizza. I want that Manhattan pasta. Like, this is part of my yearly U.S. Open routine. How dare you? not allow me to have it because I can afford to. Right. Like, this is not an authoritarian government. They're not people posted at the bridges and the subway tunnels preventing you from going. The point, my point is that having the U.S. Open is going to require a level of trust on the part of organizers to trust that players will do the right thing. And like we said on the last episode, the evidence is simply not there that some players will do the right thing, right? And it only takes one person. You cannot police this, right? So do you take the risk of hoping that people will conduct themselves in a manner that promotes the health of other people? Or do you cancel the tournament? Or do you, like Blair Henley suggested, perhaps in jest, enlist some kind of RA to monitor the dorms <laughs> right, while you're right. at the hotel. Like, the thing is, these are grown adults. They A lot of them have families. Like, they don't want to abide by your rules, right? They want to be able to live their lives. They feel like they've earned the right to mm -hmm. do whatever the fuck they want. Right. The thing is, like, coronavirus doesn't really care. 
if you're an adult or if you're famous or whatever, I think of this a lot like driving. When you drive on the highway as a driver, you can be as responsible as you need to be, but it requires trust that other drivers are also being responsible because another driver can kill you easily. You can be doing everything right. Yeah, this is not your idea, though. I have, oh. I've seen Courtney Nguyen tweet it. I've really? seen other people tweet it. Yeah. I did, I did come up with it independent of that. Oh, you did? Yes. I, I, I don't think so, but we can agree to disagree. You'd... We can. <laughs> we can. Anyway, I'm not someone who doesn't give credit for ideas when I read them, so maybe I ingested this somewhere subconsciously. <laughs> But the point is, like, you, how do you convince people to have care and empathy for others, right? This is a lot, the question that a lot of Americans were asking themselves around the election of Donald Trump. Aside from politics, like, how do you convince people to care what happens to other people? And you simply cannot, which is why a disease like this that spreads so easily is, is so dangerous. Do you expect John Isner to be following all those protocols? Most definitely When he's not. out here calling people Corona Bros? That you Corona Bros can stay in your basement. I'm going to live my life and fight for my, my, uh, my sport that I love so much. And then question people and say, in a follow-up, in essence, did you bring the same energy to the protesters? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're back there again. Oh, yeah, he did that. Yes. When John Isner clearly does not take this seriously, that much is known. And we're seeing this virus being handled with political gloves mm-hmm. by some players. And it's happening in a country that is so deeply politically divided along to wear a mask, to not wear a mask lines. Mm. Like that is being transplanted into this tennis event. Right. How, how, how is it going to happen? It just, it just cannot. And also the people who are working there, they could be Trumpers. Sure. The people are volunteering. Uh, But those people also deserve to be protected. I'm saying they you know, will not necessarily take the precautions themselves. It's not just the players. Okay. But it's the a, thing is, if the boss tells you you have to do this or you cannot work here, they will do it. Right? But like tennis players. They will do the, it the until until that driver picks up Isner. And then that driver is like, oh, man, like, you're, I'm, thank you for, like, speaking up. Like, I can finally have a ride without a mask. And they're both, like, shooting the shit in the car. Like you find your communion with with people of your of your ilk okay. where you can find it. But them. my point is because containing this disease depends so much on behavior, ideology can easily influence it, right? It's, yes. That's that's the whole point. But top tennis players who have already seen a whole batch of concessions in how the US Open will go forward, they have been allowed to behave in a different way than people who will work at the tournament. Back to the Zverev thing and the Nick thing. So Enter a third party. Unprovoked. Unsolicited. Listen, I was going to bed at like five something in the morning a couple nights mm-hmm. ago and these tweets just 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 showered down on my timeline. Rain Boris, on me. Boris Becker. Wow, they just kept coming, didn't they? So we're going to do a little bit of a a modified dramatic reading. Who are you going to be? I get to be Nick, right? Do you? (laughs) Okay. The the main one that got it started. Boris Becker tweets, Don't like no hashtag rats! Exclamation. Anybody telling off fellow sportsman slash woman, Hey, inclusivity. Is no friend of mine! Exclamation. Look yourself in the mirror and think you're better than us. At Nick Kyrgios. At Farfetch. So, so many of us were confused at why he tagged Farfetch, which is this international online clothing brand. And it turns out that it's because Philip Plin, who shared the Instagram video of Zverev dancing in the south of France, is a designer for Farfetch. Supposedly, that's why Boris tagged Farfetch. Within moments, Nick Kyrgios has a response. No, I'm not going to do the accent. Like, I can't do the accent, so it's just going to be in ours. For goodness sake, Boris, I'm not competing or trying to throw anyone under the bus. 
It's a global pandemic, and if someone is as idiotic as Alex to do what he has done, I'll call him out for it. Simple. Now, Boris did not respond to that particular tweet, but he did go on. He says, we all live in the pandemic called hashtag COVID-19, exclamation. It's terrible, and it killed too many lives. We should protect our families, loved ones, and follow the guidelines. But still, don't like hashtag rats. At Nick Curios, at Farfetch. Nick responds, rats? For holding someone accountable? Strange way to think of it, champion. I'm just looking out for people. When my family and families all over the world have respectfully done the right thing. And you have a goose waving his arms around, I'ma say something. So Nick also says, at the Boris Becker is a bigger donut than I thought. He can hit a volley, obviously not the sharpest tool in the shed though. Boris tweets again, not in response to anything. He tweets, there's an unspoken understanding between athletes, exclamation. Whatever happens on the court stays there, including the lockers, exclamation. Nobody will talk about it. Hashtag respect. Hashtag sport. Hashtag fellowship. Oh, and the next one is where it gets really good. This is where Boris was most out of line for me. I would really like to see at Nick Kyrgios fulfill his potential and win a Grand Slam! Exclamation. He would be an incredible role model for the youth of the world, addressing the issues of equality, race, heritage! Exclamation. Man up, buddy, and deliver. At... ATP Tour at ITF Tennis. Where do you want to start with this? Rats. Okay, let's uh, start with rats. Boris is a mob boss, apparently, because that is a mob boss terminology. Yes. So rat means snitch or narc or tattletale or whatever. That would imply that Nick is revealing something that happened behind the scenes that shouldn't see the light of day. Which is not what happened. Which is... That in itself is problematic, but it's also not what happened. This... Zverev was behaving like that in public. The video was shared publicly. Everybody saw it. He was commenting on it. So he's not a rat in that sense. The terminology is offensive regardless. And it's interesting that Boris Becker is trying to enforce this in the mob. It's called omerta or street code or whatever, like anti-snitch legislation in tennis that the players are not allowed to talk shit about each other in public. Because Boris has done his fair share. Also, this is the type of thinking that props up problematic behavior. Yes. When somebody's acting homophobic, misogynistic, racist, your silence is complicit. And this is not the time for that. Read the room, Boris. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. That is the definition of unhealthy behavior. Right. Imagine if Boris Becker were a police officer hmm. and said... There's an unspoken understanding between, not athletes, but police officers, right? Is this how you would behave in any occupation? Whatever happens with my foot on his neck stays there, providing there's no camera. Right. That, logically, that follows, right? Then this pivot to wanting Nick to fulfill his potential. Dude, Nick has told you explicitly, and by you I mean everybody, that he doesn't give two shits about his tennis career. He's just out here to have fun. At this point, you need to take him at his word. If you are concerned about his legacy and his potential, that's that's a you problem. That's mm -hmm. not a Nick problem. And to my mind, if you're if you're challenging him to become a role model, this is isn't, this is it. Isn't this it? This is it. Right. This is the moment to to stand up for what you believe in. And then in that same tweet, you go on to say that he should be addressing the issues of equality, race, heritage. He shouldn't be talking about stuff that affect his bottom line, his livelihood, the organization, the league, the sport that he plays. He shouldn't talk about tennis. He should just talk about black and brown people around the world and the issues that affect them. That's, that's it. Mm -hmm. This is, as you can see on my face, the face crack of the month for me. The fact that Boris disingenuously started with, I hope you fulfill all your potential win a Grand Slam totally immaterial to this conversation and then pivots to Nick should basically stay in his lane yeah. of equality, race, and heritage. He has ghettoized Nick Kyrgios into speaking only about those issues that 
presumably affect him because he is not white. It's racist. It's it is racist. It's so racist. And it is fucked up. And this is from a man to who married a black woman and has black children. Yes. So just because so, you do so that Boris, does not mean you're Boris impervious. To t- he's talking about Black Lives Matter on his timeline. By that I mean hashtag word. Well, quote tweeting everything. He is also retweeting propaganda. Yes. But he gets to talk about everything. Everything under the sun. But Nick is relegated to this. He gets to set all the rules yes. by which this brown man has to abide. Are you fucked in the head? Oh, and... Just in those two, 280 characters, we got that little last-minute injection of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. He says, man up, buddy, and deliver. Dude, like, this is a tour de force of fuckery in one tweet. Mm-hmm. It is truly impressive how many toxic traits you have compiled into one tiny tweet. I implore you, if you or anybody in your life says the word man up, nip that shit in the bud. It is one of the most toxic, seemingly innocuous, but most toxic things you could ever say. Right. It Even necessarily it. excludes girls and young aspiring gays from getting into sport and staying in sport at right. a very base level. You may not mean it like that, but it, it's not cute. It requires men to stifle their emotions and not engage with their emotions and become hardened emotional criminals. To the people around them. That's what that does. Mm. Man, this was this was quite a stretch from Boris. And he was out of line, he was out of pocket, mm. he was racist, he was uh stupid, trash, like all of the above. It was an interesting several hours from him because I feel that he has occupied this space as kind of a laughing stock. An embarrassing figure, right? Like a, a figure that people pity at this point. Um, somebody who coached Novak Djokovic has gone on to talk shit about him in the press and is now criticizing people for doing the same about their fellow players. It's hypocritical. It's just bizarre. And it was so easily ownable, right? Like it was, you couldn't have teed people up better to roast you. And I'm not even getting into all the personal stuff. People want to talk about his messy personal life. I'm not concerned. The, The content... Of the argument is enough to roast. Brie, who is at For the Tennis, she said, Really, y'all, you're doing this? When all Nick has to do is Google you to end you on social (laughs) media. I learned things about Boris Becker I did not know. Mm. I saw people talking about Boris Becker's penis. Like I literally put into Twitter search Boris Becker penis. Didn't need to. People are talking about Boris Becker micro penis. You actually asked me about that last night, and I told you the full story because it was actually something that Boris himself volunteered. This is somebody who created a fake diplomatic immunity situation Mm -hmm. to avoid bankruptcy. With Central African Republic, yeah. This is... The man created a whole bogus portfolio Mm -hmm. so that he could claim diplomatic immunity to benefit himself in bankruptcy. Right, but the thing is, it doesn't even matter. Like, he could... This could be Rod Laver... But the content of the tweets are so out of pocket that they're able to be dissected. Do you know what I mean? Like, I understand. Yeah. He's wrong. He's just the worst vessel. <laughs> the worst vessel saying the worst things. Yes. Yeah. This will be a shorter episode for us, thankfully. Um, <laughs> for you, maybe. You're welcome. <laughs> if you are happy for our 200th episode, the one thing that we would ask of you to show your appreciation is to share the body serve with your friends. Word of mouth is something that really helps an outfit like us. And also, if you have yet to review the show on iTunes, please do so. We are also on Spotify and Overcast and all your favorite podcast apps. On Twitter, I am at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. I'm Jonathan at tennis underscore John. And we are at the Body Surf on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for your support over these five plus years and 200 episodes. We hope to keep going and getting better, hopefully. Mm-hmm. If we get nine double centuries like Brian Lara, it'll, <laughs> it'll take us roughly 45 years, but I think we can do it. <laughs> How will you just score uh, a quintuple century? That, that might move things along mm-hmm. okay. a little faster. Thanks for listening. Till next time.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.